Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn about why buying one new thing makes you want to buy more new things, how cave art becomes animated when seen in firelight, and why running may actually be good for your knees. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Think about your last big purchase. Chances are you followed it up with lots of little purchases. A new laptop makes you want to buy new headphones and a second monitor. A new outfit makes you want to buy new shoes and accessories. Well, this tendency to follow up one new purchase with more new purchases is so common that it has a name, the Diderot effect. The Diderot effect is named for French philosopher Denis Diderot, who's best known for writing a popular Enlightenment-era encyclopedia. And his story literally sounds like a fairy tale. Diderot was poor for most of his life until he got a windfall at age 52 from none other than Catherine the Great. The Empress was a fan of his encyclopedia, and when she heard of his poverty, she purchased his whole personal library for a thousand British pounds, or nearly 250,000 US dollars today. Suddenly, Diderot had money to spare. With his new funds, he decided to splurge on one thing, a beautiful new scarlet robe. But there was a problem. The robe was so beautiful that everything else in his home paled by comparison. It all needed an upgrade. He swapped a straw chair for a leather one, and he bought a new kitchen table. He eventually replaced all of his belongings, but found himself swimming in debt and dissatisfaction. Seriously, it sounds like a children's book with a moral of the story. Well, we don't all come into a chunk of change as large as Diderot did, but even small purchases can spawn others. You take up a new sport, and suddenly you have to buy all the gear that goes with it, and a fitness tracker. Or your kid gets an American Girl doll and then begs for endless accessories. As for why this happens, sociologists say it's because our things are an extension of our identities. When one thing no longer fits with the rest of our identity, we're driven to spend until we forge a completely new version of ourselves. And this drive almost exclusively goes one direction. I mean, we barely ever downsize to bring our identity back in line. There are ways to prevent a Diderot-style spending spree. The first is to avoid triggers that make you buy in the first place. So try unsubscribing from sales emails or try meeting friends at a park instead of the mall. Next, limit how often you buy new things and how much you spend on them. And when you do buy something, make sure it works with what you've already got. In the end, we have to learn to be happy with what we have. Otherwise, nothing will ever be enough. 30 years ago, a media scholar saw something in a cave painting that convinced him we'd been horribly misinterpreting our ancestors' artwork. And a team of archaeologists in Spain have recently conducted some experiments that shed a bit more light on the matter. But, like, literally shed more light. It, the study was about light. Anyway. That media scholar I mentioned was Edward Wachtel, and in 1993, he visited the prehistoric caves of the south of France to answer a question. 
Why did ancient humans go to the trouble of making art in dark, dangerous caves when painting out in the sunlight is so much nicer? Most experts said it had something to do with magic or rituals, but Wachtel had a different idea. Maybe paintings looked cooler in caves. He'd seen plenty of pictures of cave art, but the first he saw that day took him by surprise. It was practically impossible to make out anything at all. The paintings were covered by lines chiseled into the rock. These quote-unquote spaghetti lines weren't the only problem. A lot of the paintings had figures drawn on top of each other, along with random legs and animal body parts. Later in his trip, Wachtel went to a smaller, less important cave. This one didn't have electric lights, so his guide lit their way with a gas lantern. When the lantern swung back and forth in the dark cave, everything clicked. The flickering light and dark shadows transformed the spaghetti lines into forests and thickets. The random legs became different animals seen only for a moment. Wachtel said, quote, By firelight, a secret of the cave painters was exposed. In the space of a few moments, I saw cuts and dissolves, change and movement. Forms appeared and disappeared. Colors shifted and changed. In short, I was watching a movie, end quote. Unfortunately, there's no way to know whether Wachtel is right. We can't go back in time and ask the cave painters what they intended. Data that would offer further explanation is hard to come by, but experimental archaeologists in Spain have taken the first step. In a recent study, the team took sticks, fibers, tallow, and all kinds of tree resins into a cave to try some ancient illumination techniques for themselves. Their findings were pretty basic. Adding animal fat to a torch makes it burn longer, while pine resin makes it burn brighter. That sort of thing. Still, if we want to get closer to understanding why cave painters superimpose their subjects and carve them up with spaghetti lines, this kind of research is how we can get there. And future findings could give a whole new meaning to the term motion pictures. We're moving on from moving pictures to moving people. I'm talking about runners. There's a common myth about running that we debunked on our show a few years ago. And we thought you should hear it in case you missed it the first time around. Here's a 2018 story remastered to help run this myth out of town. You've probably heard that running is bad for your knees, but a growing body of research suggests that running might not only be fine for your knees, it might actually improve your knee health. Do you think you have healthy knees then? I have super healthy knees. <laughs> this is my biggest pet peeve. My response to this is always to change the subject so people never know how I actually feel. But whenever someone tells me, oh, I used to run, but then it was just terrible for my knees. So I stopped. I, I want to. You just can't. I can't handle it. I can't handle it. Why don't you educate them? I'm a very well actually kind of person and I try to stop from doing that in social situations because people don't really appreciate it. That's tricky to yeah. be a science educator, but then also want to have friends. <laughs> that's the trick. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Thank goodness we've got this podcast for an outlet. Oh, really? It's It helps a lot. Well, for a study published in 2016 in the European Journal of Applied Physiology, researchers had male and female runners either run on a treadmill for 30 minutes or spend the same amount of time sitting quietly. Each participant then did the opposite activity the next day. Before and after each session, the researchers drew blood from an arm and synovial fluid from a knee. That's the substance that lubricates your joints. 
Then they analyzed it from a bunch of angles, like looking at cells associated with knee inflammation and a substance called cartilage oligomeric matrix protein, or COMP, which is often used as a marker of arthritis. And the results were pretty dramatic. After running, the participants' knees had lower levels of cells linked to inflammation, and the COMP levels in their knees had also dropped. The study's author concluded that moderate runs are, quote, not likely to harm healthy knees and probably offer protection, unquote. And this is just recent research. As far back as the 1980s, studies were showing that running wasn't associated with knee arthritis or other types of degenerative joint disease. But hang on. Your knees hurt when you run, right? Especially if you're a new runner. Well, that pain rarely comes from a breakdown of your joints. A lot of the time, it's because you're running too much mileage too soon, or even just the fact that you're using old shoes. Of course, if you've got a nagging pain that doesn't go away, then please see a doctor. This podcast is not intended to be medical advice. But at the same time, don't let the fear of knee damage scare you away from running. It might actually keep your knees healthy. Let's recap the main things we learned today. Well, we learned that the Diderot effect describes the tendency to follow up one purchase with many other purchases, like buying a CrossFit membership makes you buy all the gear that goes with it, or buying a new outfit makes you buy new shoes and accessories to boot. Sociologists say it's because our things are an extension of our identities. And when one thing no longer fits with the rest of our identity, we're driven to spend until we forge a completely new version of ourselves. To fight it, Limit your purchases, and when you do buy something new, try to make it match with the rest of what you have. Yeah, finishes on my house. <sighs> when we moved into our house, there was one room where the windows didn't have any trim. It was just the frames were in the thing, so I had to trim them out. And anyway, there's white trim. My whole house has white trim. White trim on the doors, white trim on the windows, just you painted solid white. Well, I decided to go with golden oak trim for the windows. Guess who now wants golden oak trim Everywhere else in his house. Yeah. Guess who cannot afford to put golden oak trim <laughs> in every room in his house? It turns out that is extremely expensive. So, uh, yeah, this hit me really hard. It hit me really hard. Yeah. It's like in every part of your life, you just got to go with the white trim. Like, just remember that, <laughs> remember that going with the white trim this time will make the rest of your life simpler. I mean... Think about yourself in the future. Be like, is this going to be something that is going to make my life better? Because purchases usually don't. Remember that. Like, you always think it's going to make your life better. And then and then it's just sort of like, oh, okay, you're on to the next thing. Exactly. Well, we also learned that cave art becomes animated when you view it in firelight. In 1993, Edward Wachtel discovered that the flickering light of a swinging lantern made cave paintings look like they were moving. The weird images of animals superimposed on each other and carved up with so-called spaghetti lines suddenly became quick glances of different beasts peeking through the brush. We can't know if early cave painters actually intended their images to be animated, but a recent study took a first step in uncovering the mystery. Very cool. Context matters so much, right? You're like, oh, cave painting. Well, we paint things so that you look at them when they're just paintings. And then you look at a cave art. And you're like, oh, they painted on the wall so they could admire the paint on the wall. But like, no, maybe it was intended for them to light fires and do that stuff. Yeah. I mean, one big misconception that people have is that most of 
our ancestors lived in caves, but a lot of the time the cave was more kind of used as a location that they could do things in, but not necessarily like their permanent shelter all the time. Because they're like, it's dark and wet in there, you know, it's not actually that comfortable. So the fact that they had paintings in there kind of suggests that, you know, there was a purpose. There was a reason that they went in there to do that. I go into the pictures. <laughs> exactly. That's how they talked. But like we've talked on this podcast before about how historically movie theaters were some of the first institutions in the United States that had air conditioning. So on really hot summer days, people would flock to the movie theater because they wanted to not be super hot. So like caves are that. And of course, they need entertainment. So caves are basically ancient movie theaters is a possibility. This is not conclusive research, but, you know, it always seemed to kind of fit. I like the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And we also learned that running may actually be good for your knees. Researchers studied runners' knees and found that they had lower levels of cells that caused inflammation. And that's just from one recent study. Studies from as far back as the 1980s have shown that running is not associated with knee arthritis or other issues. If your knees hurt when you run, it might be because you're running too far too soon or you just need new shoes. Yeah, we didn't have time for this bit back in the day when we first ran it. But if your knees hurt when you run, and especially if you're a new runner, it's a really good idea to do supplemental exercises like leg lifts, clams. There's a whole bunch of videos out there that you can find that show things you can do to kind of strengthen the muscles around your knees and make it so they don't hurt as much. Because the real drawback to running is that it works kind of your front to back muscles and not so much your side to side muscles. And that's where things can kind of break down. So you have to, you know, do some extra exercises to make sure your strength is balanced. This is why we revisit these stories. Because back in the day, the whole episodes used to be between six and seven minutes. Wow. Yeah. Can't imagine. I can. Because <laughs> yeah. I edited literally every single one. Of right. Them. <laughs> Today's writers were Steffi Drucker and Grant Curran. Our managing editor is Ashley Hamer, who is also a writer on today's episode. Our producer and audio editor is Cody Goff. You know what you can buy that'll go really well with tomorrow's episode of Curiosity Daily? Well, nothing, because we're free and you don't need to spend a dollar to join us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.